0: Hi, I'm Liz Ware. And I'm Raelle Bell, and you're listening to That's Brilliant, a podcast by the American Lighting Association. So this week, we actually didn't have
1: to search far and wide for our guest. We just actually went down the hall.
0: Yes, ALA's very own Michael Weems, who is our vice president of public policy, finally listens to our many requests to have him on the podcast and agreed to do it. Grace us with his presence, as he would like us to say.
1: He has actually turned us down more than once. Oh, no, I can't really talk about that yet. Oh, no, this this issue is still not really
0: something that's, you know, anyway. So, well, that's the nature of what he does, though. It's always changing. And Mm -hmm. so we can understand. And there are members
1: out there. There are people out in the world, and we've talked about this before in the podcast a little bit, who don't understand how important it is to keep an eye on public policy and the regulatory environment for lighting. There's a story we should get somebody to tell sometime who knows all the details about how can lights were about to be regulated out of existence until ALA put together a task force and I think it had to do with fire safety, and they you know rewrote some standards. And anyway, we still have can lights now. So yes. that's because we kept an eye on the regulatory environment, and Michael does that for us now.
0: Yes, Michael joined the ALA team back in 2014, and he came from a position in a congressman's office as a legislative director where he had worked with the House Energy and Commerce Committees as a liaison for the congressman. And so he came with a lot of background and understanding on how regulatory processes work. And then he brought that knowledge to ALA and now helps us follow all of these important things that are happening that could affect our members and their businesses. And he will explain a little bit more about what he does and what some of the key issues he's uh, focusing on right now are in this episode. I'm sure he
1: has lots of issues to talk about, so let's go ahead and dive in. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Hinkley and Kitchler Lighting, for supporting this episode. How are
0: you, Michael? Uh, I'm great. You know, we've been asking you to be on the podcast now for, I guess, a year and a half, which is about how long we've been doing the podcast, and we finally got you to agree. So (laughs) I guess we're doing something right. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about what you do at ALA. You are vice president of public policy. What does that mean?
2: That means I do all the government stuff, the non-attractive, non-fun stuff that is actually important for our members. So a government entity, be it a department of whatever from the federal government, a department of whatever from the federal government in Canada or state government or even a local government entity can put out a regulation or propose legislation or a city ordinance or anything like that that might impact lighting. And it's not just manufacturers, it also applies to reps, it applies to showrooms. And my job is to know about it and then read it, consume it, understand it, and then pass it along to the impacted parties within ALA and help them understand it Let them figure out how it's going to impact their businesses even more so. And then if there's the opportunity, respond to that government entity and convey hopefully a a unified message from ALA's members on, on how we can support it or how we think that it can be improved to allow for more ALA members to do business in a positive way and sell more lighting products.
1: Okay, I think already this will make more sense if we just jump into the examples. So why don't we talk about light bulbs?
2: Light bulbs, great. (laughs) You know, light bulbs are are a tricky issue to talk about because there's so much different terminology as it relates to light bulbs. If you're a consumer, you walk into a showroom and you say, hey, I need a light bulb. And that's all fine and well, the showroom staff will walk you over and they'll sell you the light bulb. But in the industry, we don't call them light bulbs. We call them right. names. And, and that's that's something that I think there's room for improvement on when it comes to lamp terminology. And, and it's part of a bigger issue that, that we're working on as we move beyond incandescent and halogen and CFL products is looking at lamp terminology and standardizing lamp terminology. What does it mean? What is bright white, daylight, dim light, this, that, and the other? Trying to standardize all that terminology. So, no matter where you go, what manufacturer you're looking at, you'll see the same terminology. If one says daylight, it means this specific set of metrics. If it says something else, it means this specific set of metrics. If you buy a product from manufacturer A, it will be at 2700K and it'll say, you know, daylight. But if you buy it from manufacturer B, at daylight, maybe 5000 k There's no consistency there. And, and so trying to work with IES, NEMA, and some other lighting organizations, trying to standardize that terminology.
1: Well, and let me jump in for a second here. So if you're a consumer, let's say you're seeing the bulb and it says, I don't know, bright white, or it says warm white or whatever it says. But if you know to look for the Kelvin number of the bulb, that is going to be consistent. So is that right?
2: That's true. The Kelvin is Kelvin is Kelvin, right? So it doesn't matter where you go. If, like I said, manufacturer A says 2,700K, if you don't like manufacturer A and you only want to buy from manufacturer B, as long as you're buying that same Kelvin, then you'll get about the same deal. Now, there's a lot of other metrics that we know of, like color and things like that. That will ultimately impact that as we advance beyond the consumer's understanding in kelvin i think color will be the next thing that we try to educate consumers on we have a lot of work to do there
1: i just yeah i just wanted to interject a little bit that you can short circuit some of this confusion just as a consumer by knowing a little bit about kelvin refer to previous podcasts we will put the link in the show notes
2: yeah and if you <laughs> okay and if you one more than kelvin, and you want to dive into color. I think there's previous podcasts on TM30 and things like that, and that that'll gives you a whole lot more information.
1: There are, but we don't want to scare people.
2: <laughs> Just listen to it like ten times, and by the tenth time, okay. <laughs> start to make sense. No. Okay, on, but beyond you know standardizing terms and that sort of stuff, well, another thing we have to do is is we have to educate consumers with. In showrooms, too, and and maybe some manufacturers and third-party vendors coming out of China, of where we are in the landscape of the lamp marketplace. So in saying that, where we are today is something called the backstop. It was put in place a long time ago and was supposed to be enacted in 2020. Because of different administrations and changeovers and that sort of stuff, there was a, a delay in the backstop being implemented. The backstop says that if the Department of Energy doesn't issue new efficiency regulations for lamps, then this backstop is triggered. And What the backstop says is that if you have a product that does not meet 45 lumens per watt, then it is no longer permissible for sale. This is not a light bulb ban. This is not a lamp ban. This is a, a sales ban, meaning you are prohibited from further sales of this uncompliant compliant products.
1: However, what you're talking about is what we are going to hear in common parlance as the light bulb ban. This is what people right mean there, when there. they say that.
2: Countless number of media, you're exactly right, Liz. There's countless number of media articles out there calling this the light bulb ban. That being said, we are where we are today. And the backstop was implemented by the Biden administration at last year. It came out in April of last year, and they said that we're going to give manufacturers six months to import all the products and then on the end of the year on december 31st of last year manufacturers can no longer import these products and as that six month period went on the department of energy stepped up its enforcement so the 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 window to import products while it was the same your freedom to do so got a little bit more narrow and narrow and narrow because they're trying to phase out these products phase two kicked in and said hey now it's the showrooms and the distributors opportunity to sell through their product and that period ended on and same thing it stepped up enforcement as the months went on and that that ended on july 31st of this year so on august 1st what happened so anybody that had incandescence and halogens and that's really what's caught up here in this 45 per watt threshold anybody that still had that in inventory that's now considered abandoned inventory so a 45 per watt threshold If you're a showroom that has a product that doesn't meet that threshold, what do you do with that product? Well, the Department of Energy would encourage you to destroy that product. Beyond that, I think the thing to know is that not all of that product that you're sitting on is necessarily now banned from sale. There are 26 exceptions to the general service lamp definition for that 4500 watt threshold. What are those 26 exceptions? They're available on the ALA website, and there'll be a link in the show notes for this so you can go on and find that document. There's also 16 more exceptions for the general service incandescent lamp definition, and those exceptions will also be in the show notes.
1: So in general, your normal A lamp is probably a general service lamp, but... Oven lights aren't included. Little bitty halogens with pins on them aren't included. There are lots of little different specialty kinds of things that are in this list of exceptions that we're going to link to.
2: You know, appliance lamps are the first exception under the general service lamp list. So yes, your, your lamps that go into your ovens, your refrigerators, things like that, if, if it's not an LED refrigerator, then this is probably going to be an excluded product. One thing to also keep in mind is is that we're talking about products that are less than three hundred and ten lumens. All this information, I know we're, we're talking a lot of different things. Liz brought up pin base. You know, one thing that comes to mind is like G nine products, pin base product, that's excluded from the forty five lumen pro watt backstop. So all this, like I said, it will be in, in the link on the show notes. Beyond that, ALA is coming out with a one pager. The draft is in process right now. We should have it out. By middle of October at the latest, it's a document that will be designed to educate consumers, but it's also there to help showrooms to understand what they have in inventory, what's still allowed for sale. ALA is not doing to educate consumers. The showrooms can further educate consumers with this document. So it's coming. It's in the works. This is an idea that was brought up by members, and it's something that that ALA is excited to, to bring forward and put out.
0: Yeah, that'll be a huge help, I'm sure, and we'll have it on our consumer-facing pages as well. So we have all this kind of doom and gloom language about the, you know, banning light bulbs. So, like, what's next? Are there more regulations that are going to affect what's available as far as lamps and light bulbs go? More doom and
2: gloom. (laughs) So where do we go from here? So the 45 watt backstop is 100% in effect, no questions about it. What comes next? DOE not being restricted by Congress at this point has moved forward with the next phase of efficiency regulations for general service lamps. I think that regulation will will come to fruition by the end of this year. What's in it right now is a formula or a set of metrics that looks to set the next efficiency level for general service lamps above 120 lumens per watt, closer to 125 lumens per watt. This will effectively now eliminate compact fluorescent lamps from the marketplace. So we've checked off incandescents, we've checked off halogens, now we're checking off CFLs. CFLs, their share of the marketplace is pretty minimal as it is anyway, but this will totally wipe it off the marketplace. The question here is how long will will manufacturers and showrooms have to sell through this existing product? Because of the way this efficiency regulation in the draft phase is worded, it's not going to be another sales ban. It won't be a sales prohibition. It'll just be an import day by manufacturers and then insurers will be allowed to sell off a remaining product. Where do we go from here? So if we've gotten rid of those other three products. Where do we? What are we left with? We're left with LEDs, and and this is important, and I can't stress this enough. Is there's a lot of stuff out there about LEDs, good, bad, and different, and And I want to say that LEDs are good. LEDs are the future of the lighting industry. They've been the future of the lighting industry for a few years now. And they're coming in at a cheaper cost every day. Their functionality is just blowing the minds of what's capable in a residential setting, in a commercial setting. The energy savings that we're seeing from these products is substantial. There's questions about health. There's questions about dark skies. And, And I say that all of that comes down to the proper application of lighting. And our showrooms and our ALA lighting designer members, they are great at at educating the end user, the consumer on the proper application of lighting and making sure that we're not just shining in our outdoor lights straight up into the sky, that we're pointing them down, that we're using the right color temperature at the right time of the day. You know, we, we have programs that we're working on about, you know, better light, better sleep, about light for the aging eye, all this stuff that's out there to help people understand The relationship of lighting and health, and the more we do this research and the more we get this information and put it out out there, the more I think people will understand that LEDs are the solution from an energy saving standpoint and from a you know just an overall lighting standpoint, and they're not the problem.
0: Absolutely, we've got some other good episodes that touch on those topics that we can link as well. We'll get back to our conversation in just a minute, but first, a message from our sponsors. Hinkley is proud to be a fourth generation family company with the mission of providing customers with exceptional lighting and ceiling fan products. They understand the passion their customers feel for their homes and are dedicated to helping them realize their vision. Learn more about the company, including some incredible charity work they do, at Hinkley.com. Kitchler
1: Lighting is more than just a lighting company, they're a Bring People Together company focused on strengthening and growing relationships. They're constantly innovating, creating on trend designs, and delivering high quality product. Learn more and
0: find inspiration and ideas at kitchler.com. So, shifting gears a little bit to um, ceiling fans, what's going on with ceiling fan regulations right now?
2: Glad you asked. Ceiling fan regulations, the Department of Energy is required to look at a set number of consumer products and and industrial products commercial and industrial products and they are required to look at not only the efficiency of those products but they're also the test procedures that that evaluate those products and there's a cycle to it and that cycle is defined by a law going dating back to 1975 and the cycle is different for depending on the product but it's you know anywhere from six to nine years that that a product has to be reviewed and reevaluated to see if new efficiency regulations are required. We talked about efficiency regulations for general service lamps. They're all the same regulatory cycle. So are ceiling fans, so are ceiling fan light kits, external power supplies. There's so many different things. You know, outside of lighting, we're looking at refrigerators, dishwashers, you know, everything is of an appliance standpoint that you bring into your home is probably has some sort of DOE regulation affiliated with it. Mm -hmm. Ceiling fans had its first go-around back in 2014, and and that regulation was finalized over a three-year period in 2017, right as President Obama was leaving office. That regulation took three years to go into effect, and moving forward now, we're into the next phase, the second round of regulatory review for ceiling fans. We've done all the initial phases, and DOE put out their proposed rulemaking to increase the efficiency on ceiling fans. In the initial steps to getting to the proposed rule, we asked DOE not to set at a DC motor only standard. We saw that there was value in the lower price point for consumers that want a ceiling fan, that want an option to move air and find air movement comfortability without having to purchase a whole home air conditioning system or a box fan a window unit all things that consume more energy you know they like the ceiling fan they like that it can have a, a light component to it as well so they're getting two things for the price of one as we got into the proposed rule it became very clear that DOE heard us they listened to ala and, and they said that hey yes lower price point consumers definitely still need that utility and so for certain products they did not propose a dc motor only standard as we reviewed the proposal further and looked at consumer data, we realized that our argument was too narrow. We saw that there actually is a need for protecting consumers in the lower, middle, and fixed income segments. You know, as ceiling fans get more technologically advanced, being able to connect to home Wi-Fi and have, you know, variable speeds and different functionality, we saw that the price of ceiling fans is going up, especially when you include a DC motor. A higher price ceiling fan prices these lower middle and fixed income consumers out of the mm-hmm. ceiling fan market. Where do they turn to? Whole home air conditioners, box fans, window air conditioning units. So, if the goal here is to achieve more energy, what we need to do is we need to allow a segment of the ceiling fan marketplace to exist that these folks can afford. Sure. And we tried to make that argument. We submitted comments to the Department of Energy back in August, asking them to take that into consideration. We're now awaiting their response. You know, that'll take a couple of months.
0: Yeah. So just kind of for clarity's sake, as we're, as listeners are tuning in, kind of what, when you say we, can you give them a little background what that means? Like the public policy committee, are there certain members that are helping you come up with these opinions? Just kind of some... I'm That's
2: great. There. Yeah. You know, and I, I should have started with this. ALA, a year ago, y'all had on Clark Lindstone. Clark Lindstone is the chair of ALA's Public Policy Committee. He gives me direction along with the Public Policy Committee. We have a committee. That, the membership to ebbs and flows, but we, we have a, a pretty stable group of 20 members. But there's some that come in for a year and leave for a year and and that sort of stuff but we have a stable group of about 20 and and clark's the leader of the committee and i take my cues from clark and and the rest of the committee members and within the committee we kind of set the overall policy and that policy is not set by the committee so much as it is explained out to the membership the Mm -hmm. membership provides input to the committee the board of governors provides input to the committee the individual member companies provide input to the committee hey This is happening. This is how it impacts our business. From there, we can set, you know, this is ALA's policy. Do we support this? Do we oppose this? Can we work to make something better? And then, you know, within the committee, we have a we have subcommittees. So we have subcommittees that focus on rep issues. We have subcommittees that focus on lamp issues. We have subcommittees that focus on ceiling fan issues. And in regards to ceiling fan regulations, when I say we, I mean our ceiling fan subcommittee. Mm -hmm. It is uh, a, a very healthy group of ceiling fan manufacturers that are very passionate about their business and passionate about how ceiling fans impact people's lives and how they are, frankly, a part of the success story when we talk about saving energy.
0: Yeah, that's great. So I wanted to touch on one other thing. Not everything that you focus on is necessarily related to lighting technology. Let's talk a little bit about the changes from the Department of Labor in overtime regulation and how that impacts our members and why you would even be paying attention to something like that as an ALA public policy expert?
2: You know, we at the the Public Policy Committee, my first six years, I'd say, with ALA, we focused only on energy efficiency issues. And it didn't matter if it was energy efficiency at California or Canada or DOE. After my first six years with ALA, Clark said, hey, we need to look at what's happening to our members or what's impacting our members beyond just efficiency.
1: So our members are in the lighting business, but and part of that is lighting and efficiency, but part of that is also just being a business, sometimes a small business. So
2: Beyond, you know, tariffs, which is an obvious thing about what impacts people's business, there's also things like taxes, healthcare, and at the end of the day, people have to get paid. And so getting paid is not as straightforward as you would think it is. We all think of being a salary professional as somebody that's exempt from qualifying for overtime. That's not the case. And the Biden administration has put out a proposed regulation or proposal to increase the threshold for who qualifies for overtime pay. Mm -hmm. The current overtime threshold right now is right around... $35,600 $35,600 something dollars. The Biden administration's proposal will increase that threshold to $55,000. And then they set, put in place, automatic increases to adjust with inflation. So what does that mean? That means if you're a showroom employee and you're a salaried employee, not hourly, then you make $45,000 a year right now and you don't qualify for overtime pay. But if this proposal goes into effect and you work a 60-hour week, all of a sudden now you do qualify for overtime pay. This is big not just for our showroom folks, but it's also big for manufacturers that have warehouse people that are on salary or other professionals that are doing this. Who does this impact? It impacts administrative folks, so secretaries, assistants, people like that. People in the executive class do also qualify for this. And then it also impacts, like I said, professionals—those that are out there on the showroom floor, day in and day out, and, and working with consumers and, and trying to help folks get the the lighting products that they need.
0: That's important stuff to follow as far as our businesses go. And if members want to stay, you know, up to date, you do produce regular public policy updates that we send out to members and post on our website. And they can also, what are some other ways they can volunteer to be part of the public policy committee?
2: Uh, Listen, they can be a part of the public policy committee, of course. But I think one thing is just be a part of ALA. You know, yes, you may be a member of ALA, but there's other committees. If your public policy isn't your jam, i don't understand that. But that's fine. (laughs) Um, But... It is not. You know, we have all kinds of committees that you can come be a part of. You can attend LA conference. You can get involved in all of our educational content. There's other ways to get involved. But if you want to learn more about our public policy efforts, then yes, the committee meets twice a year officially. We meet at at both light evasions in January and June. And then we can, we meet via Teams or Zoom calls at various times throughout the year as the need arises. The subcommittees meet not on a regular basis, but again, it's as the need arises. If there's a subcommittee that doesn't exist that you feel needs to exist, mm-hmm. we're open to new ideas always. Uh, we wanna hear from our members. As Rayel mentioned, I try to put out a monthly uh, public policy update, kind of a quick hit of what happened in the last month or what do we expect coming up in the month ahead. Hopefully the the content is is being followed from month to month and we don't just put something up there one time and leave you high and dry and wondering, well, whatever happened to that? <laughs> So, I think there's a lot of good stuff that that ALA is doing, and, and just getting more involved is a great way to get more out of your membership. And, and I hope that 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 brings you to the public policy committee.
0: Thank you, Michael. It's interesting and important stuff, and we appreciate the amount of time that you spend reading all of these <laughs> proposed regulations. And
2: <laughs> if anybody wants to come help, oh, we got yeah you know, lots of government regulations to get through.
0: I thought you were trying to encourage
1: people to pitch in. (laughs) Thank you so much, Michael.
2: Thank you. I appreciate the time.
0: So obviously there's a lot of information there that I think is really helpful and useful to our members. But kind of the key takeaway point at the end there that I really appreciate is just get involved. If you're going to be a member of ALA, getting involved is how you're going to ensure you get all the benefits that we have available to you and that you know what's going on in your business and in the regulatory process around your business. All of these things are tracked by our staff and they're available to our members. Absolutely, if you have particular interests, if you're interested in the public
1: policy committee or maybe the PR committee or maybe the steering committee for whatever type of member you are, we've got a showroom steering committee, a rep steering committee, a manufacturer steering committee, all this sort of stuff. We've got all these different committees So if you've got any particular area of interest or expertise, send us an email at podcast at ALALighting.com and let us know, and we will put you in touch with the right folks to get you more involved.
0: Yep, just like Michael heads the Public Policy Committee for ALA, all of the staff members on ALA are involved in different committees and can help serve the liaison to you and get you involved where you would like to be. So thank you all for being members.
1: Thank you for those who are not members for listening and being interested in lighting and the behind the scenes of some of the lighting. We appreciate your attention.
0: We joked earlier before we started recording about having a special announcement at the end of this episode, but I actually just thought of something that is a special announcement. (laughs) And if you stuck around long enough and you're still here listening, (laughs) you're in luck because the registration for our 2024 ALA conference in Palm Beach, Florida, which is September 22nd through 24th of next year, 2024, has opened. And this year we have a really kind of exciting and different early registration drawing that we are doing. There's going to be a prize. If you register by November 30th of 2023 for next year's conference, you will be entered to win a spa treatment at the Breakers, which is the host hotel of our conference. And then you'll also be entered to win, this is a dual prize, so you will get the spa treatment as well as a free upgrade to a suite at the breakers. And trust me, the breakers is incredible. And a standard room is going to be nice, but a suite there, I can only imagine. So
1: that that's very cool. And also, so many people wait till the last minute to register. So if you want to be one of these early birds, you're going to be at a pool of of people that is smaller.
0: Yep. Yeah, we understand not everyone can register early. But if you can, if that's something you're able to do, a, we'd love for you to be at conference. We had so much fun this year in Tahoe, and B, you're going to be entered for this awesome prize. So we hope you will do that. Visit alaconference.com to register for 2024 conference. Stay brilliant. <laughs> oh, well, I was going to thank our sponsors. Thank you, again, Pinkley and Kitchler Lighting for supporting this podcast. Stay brilliant. I've never said it before. It was kind of fun. <laughs> This is like the anchor man. Stay classy. Uh <laughs> stay brilliant, ALA. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye.